Hey friends, welcome back to the Pulpit to Pew podcast. Today marks three years since we started this podcast. So it's a birthday episode and it's day five in our journey through the Bible. And today we're going to anchor down in Job, but back up and look at what else we read in Genesis. Let's get started. Hello, friends, again, and welcome back. What a start to the year. We're celebrating the third year on the podcast, and we have a lot of new listeners right now. There's a lot of new people that have subscribed to the newsletter. There's 15 or 16 of you that are following the version plan along with us. Some of you may be doing it on your own, but what a start to the year. I've been doing a lot of, it feels like customer service, trying to help people with their emails, help people... Uh, make sure they, they know where to subscribe and how to subscribe and doing a lot of uh, behind the scenes. But I'm thrilled because pe- you all are excited about learning the Bible and studying the Bible and we're going through it. And so far, it's not too bad. You're in Genesis. You're reading some pretty exciting stories. We've had a few genealogies. We've moved over to Job now. We're going to talk about that today. Um, and, and still, even the first few chapters of Job are exciting it will get more difficult as we go. It's always good to know that up front. It's going to get more difficult. It's going to get more challenging when we get into the latter part of Exodus. But we're still going to be here. We're, uh, I'm going to still plow through. I'm going to still try to find nuggets to share with you in newsletter. I'm going to still try to find nuggets to share with you on the podcast. It's, it is it is fun for me, and I'm enjoying it. I hope you are enjoying it. I do realize some challenges now that we're into it. You know, there's a lot to cover. Like today, I really need to cover on this podcast. We're in day five. We've anchored down in day five. I already wrote about Genesis chapters one through seven. Today, I am scheduled to talk about in some form. Remember, this isn't a commentary. So in some form, I'm trying to cover Genesis eight, nine, 10, 11, and then Job one through nine. And so it's really interesting for me because I'm recording this and we haven't even got to the last part of Job yet, but I had to read ahead so I could record this. So There's just a lot of moving parts to it, but we are on a journey. I don't think when Christopher Columbus sailed across the ocean blue, not that I'm comparing this to that as much, but I guess I am. I don't think it was easy. It wasn't smooth sailing. He didn't have McDonald's chicken nuggets just pop out to him every morning or probably not morning. I would do that, but most of you wouldn't. Every day for lunch. I mean, it wasn't that tight. It was a work. It was a grind. And and we're going to be doing that this year as we go through and study this together. But I am absolutely um, loving this study, and I hope you are too. Okay, when we left off on the newsletter, so to get your full experience on this, there's three ways of you can experience this. To get the very, very full experience, you read the ver- version plan with us. You sign up to get the newsletter on Mondays and those updates, and you listen to the podcast on Thursdays and whenever you can. That's the full experience. The, the let's call it second level full experience is, uh, or the next level is if you, maybe you don't want to read through it, but you're listening, you're reading it on Mondays and you're listening to it on Thursdays. And then if you're just a podcast person, you don't even know there's a newsletter, you don't even check your emails and you're not reading through it, then you're only going to hear part of it. But still, every episode will have individual application for you. That's my prayer. And it's going to give you some nuggets and insight into the Bible. So it's still going to be good to listen all year long. 
All right. Well, in the writing on Monday, we talked about Genesis 1 through 7. I had to open up dealing with creation all the way to Noah and the flood. And that's where we kind of pick up in chapter 8. In chapter 8, there was Noah and the flood as well. We we see, I love how it started. In Genesis 8, verse 1, it says, And God remembered Noah. What a great phrase. It's actually a big phrase. I don't know how to word it exactly. I'll probably pronounce it wrong. It's called anthropomorphism. It's a, it's a non-literal picture of God in human terms. So God can't forget. He's all-knowing. But it's got, it's, what he's trying to get the point across is that God has now actively turned his attention back to Noah. God has been judging this earth for the sinfulness in, in Genesis chapter 6. And God has been judging this earth, but his focus, there was Noah found grace. We saw that in chapter six in the eyes of God. But now God has remembered him again. He didn't forget about Noah. He's like, oh no, I forgot about Noah. And he doesn't forget about you. And sometimes we may think so when we go into trials and suffering. And we're going to see that with Job here in a second. But he remembered him again a minute. He's, he's put his focus back on Noah and his family. And after all this time, the water receded. Noah sent out a dove. He sent out a raven, then he sent out a dove. And when it did come back, he knew it was time to get out, and they got out of the ark. Chapter 9, there was the rainbow, which I always say to my kids. I've said it to my kids before I mean, when I'm teaching, but what's the rainbow? It was, it was a reminder. It's nothing perverse, which our society today tries to make it. It was a reminder of God's promise to Noah and his family and to us today through the scriptures that he will not destroy this earth again by flood. Now we see local floods, but there will not be another global flood that destroys the earth. But then at the latter part of chapter 9, something sad, something grotesque to even really think about happens. And it happens because of alcohol. Now Noah became a farmer after he got off of the ark. And they had to start over, restart to repopulate the earth with his family. And for the first time, we see that wine and drunkenness is mentioned in the scriptures. Now, there's a lot of explaining away and a lot of thoughts that people have on this. Um, and, and some think that, you know, it was only after the flood that man was able to make this intoxicating drink. And it could be. And some excuse it away and say that Noah didn't know this. Could be. And some say he did. But the actions here, the, sh- the shameful actions that happened, came out of foolishness and drunkenness, which is a pattern throughout the Bible. Proverbs says, wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Says in Proverbs 23, and I'm paraphrasing this one, but it talks about, you remember, it says, like, who has woe, who has sorrow, who has contentions? And he goes on to say, um, who has the redness of eyes? It's those that that linger long at the wine. Get drunk. You may remember, he says, he goes on talking about this day that go out and sit and seek this mixed wine. And then he warns them. He says, don't look on the wine when it's red. He said, it, it's going to bite like a like a serpent, he's saying, and sting like a viper. And then he says, you're going to, behold, you're going to want to behold strange things and, and you're going to do stuff that's foolish. And, and, and then he says, when I wake, that song, the Proverbs the writer of Proverbs says, you know, just seek it again. So the Bible has a lot to say about alcohol. I was reading a little bit about it just to get prepared for today's podcast. 
And, and one guy wrote something, I'm, I'm paraphrasing him, but he said alcohol is a depressant. And it is. It loosens people up because it depresses their self-control. It depresses their wisdom. It depresses their balance. It depresses their judgment. It's the opposite of being filled with the Spirit. When you're filled with alcohol, you're doing foolishness. When you're filled with the Spirit, it has the exact opposite effect. It's this filled with the Spirit. It's a stimulant. It influences every aspect of our being in a better, more perfect performance, more perfect way. But alcohol destroys. And so alcohol led to Noah becoming uncovered in his tent. And we don't know what happened after that. It's That's the safest way to say it. There are two theories. The one theory, and I believe if, if you're in a car, maybe you got some younger kids listening, you may want to, I'm not going to get too crazy, but you may want to tone it down right here. But there's one theory that, that Noah uh, was abused sexually by one of his sons. And when it says he became uncovered, it's the idea of his nakedness. Sometimes that is associated with sexual relations, and some believe that that uh, he may have been sexually abused by one of his sons. You know, it's a repulsive thought, but it, alcohol it causes you to do foolish, foolish things. There's a lot of costs that come with drunkenness and in our society, and just watch the news. We can see it over and over and over again. That's one theory. We don't know that. There was a lot of condemnation that came down on Ham after this. So some think there could have been more than just, which is the second theory. The second theory is that he saw his father's nakedness. So some think that Ham's only sin was that he saw his father uh, naked and then he made fun of him and was mocking him. And it, and it could be. Because um, I guess literally the Hebrew word says that he told with delight. He's mocking his father. And so he was undermining the authority of God's man. And, and it very, way, very well may be that theory. Because you remember when they mocked, was it Elijah? They said, go up thou bald man or Elisha. And she bears came and killed him. So, I mean, God takes serious um, his authorities. So it very well could have been that. But either way, you, you can study that out on your own. But either way, what I want to get at is this, that drunkenness led to foolishness. And you and I... This year, I hope that you don't even struggle. You don't even think about alcohol. But if alcohol is a struggle for you, I'm telling you, alcohol leads to a lot of destruction. Now, that's chapter 9. Chapter 10, we see a lot of the descendants of Noah's sons. And we begin to see that the earth is being populated again. And then it's become so populated, many years have went by. Because in chapter number 11, we have the Tower of Babel. And the Tower of Babel is another interesting thing. I don't have too much time to get sidetracked on all of this, but the man was growing. They wanted to build this tower to the heavens. Some believe that that's yet literally to heaven, that they thought they could get there. Others just think that uh, they were trying to build it as high and as strong as they could, maybe trying to, even by what they were using, trying to avoid another drowning of a flood. So they're trying to build it as high as they could. Um but either way, man was becoming strong and they weren't leaving and populating the world like God had said. And so God confused the language or he gave us multiple languages. And this is where I could nerd out and go a little longer. I'll try to say it quick because I was reading on this quickly. A guy, I think it was Gusick, Gusick, if that's his name, was talking about this. And you can find him on Esword. It's one of the things I recommended in my post 
that's on bradmcclure.org about how to improve your Bible reading. Um, and I just use him a lot as I'm studying. But he had said that even modern linguists, those are, if I understand right, people that study language, modern linguists know that man didn't invent language any more than we invented, he wrote, that our own circulatory or nervous system. Because he said that most modern linguists believe that language is so unique that the only way that they can explain it apart from God, and they don't want to admit God, is to say that it was a part of some unique evolutionary process. That's what he writes in an end quote there. So language is, is just an amazing thing, and it's so complex, and it, and it exists as so many different whole systems, not just small parts, that, that most modern linguists believe that in its original that there was one original language and we know that is true as the bible because we just read genesis chapter number 11 but even modern linguists that may not even be bible people admit eh, very well may have been and so at the beginning of chapter 11 we see the tower of babel and god giving them multiple languages they couldn't understand each other now so they just begin to group off and spread out and do what they were supposed to do to populate the world it's there that we take an abrupt stop in Genesis and we pivot to the book of Job. Now, if you've never read through the Bible chronologically, or maybe if you haven't been in church long, you're going to be like, why are we going to Job? That's a poetry book. And it's true. It's listed with the other poetry books. It's in there with, it's in there with uh, Proverbs and Psalms and others of those poetry books. And so you may be saying, well, why? Is it why are we talking about? It? Because Job, many believe, is the oldest book of the Bible. You say, well, how could you get older than in the beginning God? Remember, Moses wrote that. That was in our newsletter as a little commercial to make sure you sign up at bradmcclure.org to get the newsletter. Moses wrote that, but later. And 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 people would have copied down some of the stories he'd given them to Moses, or God could have given them to Moses, but but Job, we don't know who the author is. Many believe it was Job himself writing down some of what happened to him in his life. And it could have been. Well, we don't know. We don't know exactly all the details of where he was. But many historians believe that he fits somewhere around the time of Abraham. Maybe Some argue a little bit before Abraham. Some argue during the time of Abraham. But it, he seems to be a man who lived during the time of Abraham as they've spread out elsewhere. And so we're going to look at Job here briefly today, and he's we're going to be in this book for some time here. Um, so I want to just give some quick thoughts, but it starts with an just opening wow scene over the first three chapters. Because you open with this man, it talks to you about this man named Job. It says that he was perfect and upright and one that feared God in his studio. Sounds like an amazing man, and he was. You read down through this chapter... He, was, he had a great character. He had a great reputation with the people. He had, what, seven sons and three daughters. He was loaded. He was rich back in that day. He wasn't rich all of a sudden in, in necessarily in money, but in his possessions, which is was equivalent to money back then. He had, he had all the camels. He had all the sheep. He had the yoke, the oxen. He had all of this going on. He was great, and we see his spiritual nature even when he went down to pray for his children. I don't know what a great example that is. He's praying for his children because he didn't want his children to be caught up in, 
in some sin he didn't know, and so he's praying for it. But then the scene shifts, and that's what I love about Job. The scene shifts, and it moves from on earth to a scene in heaven. And in heaven, or I should say beyond this earth, in a spiritual realm that we cannot see, the sons of God, which is an interesting phrase to study, the sons of God is another term for the angels, and even and sometimes includes the fallen angels. In this case, the sons of God and fallen angels and Satan appear before God. And so there, this brings us to the realization that, that Satan still has some access to God. He's the, called the prince of this world, this earth, but he has some, some access when it's given to God. He will, won't one day, because one day he will be cast into the pit and then cast into a lake of fire. He won't have any access to God, but he does today. And there's a communication that takes place. And you may notice that it was God that initiated and said, have you considered my servant Job? God initiated that. And Job said, well, it's just because you're protecting him. That's why he still worships you. And so God said, go ahead. And next thing you know, Job's children are killed. Job loses all of his possessions. He loses everything except for his wife. He lost about everything that he had. But then it says at the end of chapter 1, Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell upon the ground and worshipped. Whoa! I don't know that's what I would be doing if I had just lost everything. He worshipped and said, Naked came out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job, watch this, sin not nor charged God foolishly. And then Satan comes to heaven again, and is talking with God, and he says, Oh, yeah, but if you just would remove your hand and let me touch him. He says, Okay, go ahead. Can't kill him, but go ahead and... And uh, I'm not going to get into all the verses. This is a survey type of thing. But boy, Job's life got miserable, sick, and sores. And then his wife comes and says, just curse God and die. But the Bible says in chapter 2, verse 9, in all this, Job did not Job sin with his lips? <laughs> Job faced so much suffering and so many trials, and he didn't sin with his lips. He continued to worship. He didn't charge God foolishly. What a man. What an amazing man. And then Job does get discouraged, though. He curses. He says, I curse my, even my birth, which was the thing back then in the Hebrew time. He's like, hey, why was I even born? I don't know what's going on. And, and his friends are going to come on the scene. I'm not going to talk as much about that today. They're, they're, from chapter 4 on, we're going to hear a lot about his friends. And I, so maybe in the newsletter, I'll have to get back into that a little bit more. One thing that uh, verses that meant a lot to me several years ago was in chapter 4, when Eliaphaz, which was a friend of Job, which, you know, he's, he's going to give some bad counsel here in just a little bit. But at first, he gives some pretty good one. He came to Job, who was kind of depressed and discouraged, and he said to him, he says, Behold, thou hast instructed many. So we get a little look into the ministry of Job. Job helped a lot of people. He instructed many, he said. You strengthened the hands of the weak. He said, You've upholden him that was fallen, has strengthened him with the feeble knees. We see some of the ministry that Job had had. But this Eliphaz then says to him, But now it has come upon thee. So now the afflictions have come upon you that you've helped others that had afflictions come upon them. But now they've come upon you and you're ready to quit. Now faintest. 
He touches thee, and thou art troubled. Is not this thy fear, thy confidence, thy hope, and the uprightness of thy ways? Now, if he'd have stopped right there, man, it's great counsel. And that helped me many years ago when my life started to kind of, um, for situations outside of my control, kind of unravel. And I was like, wow. But then these verses came across my mind. I remember if someone showed me if I was just reading them and basically said, hey, you've encouraged others. Why can't you take that same encouragement now? And that gripped my heart. Now, Eliaphaz gets a little off track at that point and begins to try to point out that, Job, there must be some sin in your life. But you realize that not all suffering and not all trials are the result of sin. Now, they can be. They can be the result of sin. But not all suffering and not all trials are the result of sin. Sometimes we don't know why. Trials are just happening. I want to end up, I'm hitting about the 20-minute mark. I've covered a lot. So I'm going to figure this out as I'm going throughout the Bible this year. But I want to read you this quote. I bought this this book to kind of help me as I'm reading through the Bible this year. And and um, it's called The Bible Study, actually. And I don't know if I like it or not, so I'm not recommending it yet. But I did like this quote. And when I start reading, he says this. He says, after their discussion, here's his quote, God allows Satan to tempt Job for a period of time because of his confidence. Now get this. Because of his, God's confidence in Job's steady character. The key here is that Satan always needs permission to touch the righteous. Now, I do like that. I haven't emphasized that. He needed the permission of God. But then when I like, he goes on, he says, that is very good news for you and me. So then he, go, he here's, the, here's the statement that got me this week. He said, every point of suffering means God allows it because he has confidence that we will persevere. It's always to prove Satan wrong. When I read that this week, I rolled up my sleeves figuratively and said, all right, let's go. I don't want to give up. I don't want to quit. Now, I wasn't in a place to do that, but there's some times when I can get discouraged and get overwhelmed. But I want to, in those moments, to remember this, that God believes in me. And God may be allowing some trials into my life to prove to Satan of God's strength, because it's not me, it's God's strength in me, and it's God's strength in you. So if you're facing some suffering right now, if you're facing some difficult times, first search your life, is there any sin? But if you say, you know, the best of my ability, it's not results or consequences of some sin, then it may just be that God is allowing that in your life because he believes that you will persevere. He believes that you will overcome. He believes that you, by faith, will trust in his grace. What a beautiful picture and what a beautiful place to stop. We've anchored down this week in the book of Job. We backtracked and looked a little bit where we've sailed throughout the week. We've sailed through Genesis 8 through 11. Then we've come to Job 1 through 9 and I've stopped here. I'll pick back up in the newsletter on Monday. I want you to be a part of the full experience. So make sure that you go to bradmcclure.org and sign up. Many did in this last week. And I really appreciate all of you that are new to this. Thank you for being here. We're going to continue. We're going to continue. We're just setting off. And I'm excited about it. If I can be a help to you in any way, if you say, I didn't get the email on Monday, several of you didn't, and you reached out and we got it worked out, um, I will be glad to try to help you out. If you say, I don't know, if you have any questions about the technology side, reach out to me and be glad to try to help you. Make sure you subscribe to get these and send it to a friend. 
and it's not too late. If you say, well, it's too late, they can't jump in. Ah, they can jump in. We're going to be going through all the books of the Bible. I mean, a pastor each week just picks a spot and he teaches. He may be in a series. So jump in and be a part of the study that we are doing. If you have any questions, don't hesitate to reach out. Maybe you have one. If you're on the Version app, people are leaving some comments, some good comments, and I've been reading those and it even stirs some of my thinking as I prepare for the podcast. So have a great week. Make sure you subscribe and I will see you back Monday. I don't remember what day that is, but we will anchor down and see where we are in the Bible on that day. Have a great week. <music>